and I just finished um, doing what's called a dry rub on the turkey, Bob. And it was a messy <laughs> and intense moment. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Yo, 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 Bobo. How's it hanging? Hanging good over here, Dave. Um, and nice sunny day. Feeling feeling good to be alive. How about yourself? Yeah, I feel like I'm on walking on cloud nine. Wow. To be on, to be honest with you, it feels great. Would you say everything's coming up, Dave, today? Well, the day itself has been kind of whatever, but it's just like we love humans love a day off, you know? And the day, this is the day we're recording on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. And I just feel like such the world of possibility right now. Like the world is my oyster. I can do whatever I want. I have like these, this little bit of freedom in my life for the first time in about 80 days. And it feels amazing. And you chose to spend it with me and the listeners, Dave. Just in the sound studio, just ticking off the old personal to-do list, you know? Yep. Yeah. So it feels great. And it is sunny over here too. And nothing, nothing beats Thanksgiving. So I'm happy to be here with you. And it's always good to get, get a episode of thriving off, you know? It is. It's a great way to start one's day. We're recording at noon in California time. We used to do this in the early days of thriving. It reminds me of our first couple of episodes. And in recent times, we, we do it at night. And I do like that shift in the night, but there's a lot to be said about recording earlier in the day. And I know you're more of a, a early bird than a night owl. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like with the recent evening recordings, I've been just kind of dragging, dragging my butt. It's like at the end of, End of the week, end of the day, it's like the dark of night now, pitch black, and I feel like it's always like my last thing to do of the week is to record an episode of Thriving with you. So I feel like most typically, unless I'm like getting getting my double IPAs, most typically I'm just like barely there, you know. And at the at the end of our last last week recording, I remember thinking that I just felt like a like a lemon that was squeezed and you, the thriving in dystopia uh, podcast got my last juices of the week. And I was just like all dried up and I went, I think I fell asleep. We finished recording at like 8 PM, which was, you know, a pretty reasonable time. And I think I was literally asleep by eight Oh two. No, yeah. <laughs> you were, yeah. you're falling asleep in the last seconds of thriving. Yeah. I was like, I brushed my teeth and that was it. Like, it was incredible. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you, Dave. And I hope one day it won't, won't have to be like that for you, where you'll have a little bit more space and time for, for the things you love to do. Yeah. I wonder, you know, as we look towards future, I've, I was, this is like the start of the dark times, you know, where we're like, we're like a month away from the darkest day. And so we have like, you know, a solid two months of just like cold and darkness and 
I feel like it's the hardest time to be a teacher. I mean, it's hard to do anything during this time. And like, yeah, being a teacher is not easy, but like, I just feel like it's hard to find those moments of hope in this, in these upcoming months. And like, it's a lot of it is just like, will I ever have energy again? (laughs) Or is the next like, you know, the next 80 days going to be just like a lemon being squeezed an already squozed lemon being even more squozed. Squozed. Hashtag squozed. I hope we get that in the show notes. <laughs> well, we'll see if the new intern's chopping up, you know? Yep. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. Yeah. What about you, Babo? How's your week's your week been going? Um, I am sort of at a time in the quarter where the grading load has really built up on me. And so I feel a little bit under a mountain of papers to grade, even though they're not papers anymore. They're just filed somewhere on some server. Um, so I'm not as free and clear as yourself is, but I, I don't mind it too much. I know that I'll get through the grading and the grading's not too bad. I, I enjoy reading these discussion posts that the students do on the readings and their proposals for their final activism project. So they're pretty interesting and um just just that there's too many of them, you know, like my workload is a bit too too high. You know, we we have last week's podcast on Thanksgiving and tomorrow's Thanksgiving, so have all those things in my mind that we talked about last week. Um, that idea of trying to use it as an opportunity to bring up critical conversations and in, engage in our deeper practices of, you know, trying to be better than our ancestors. And we think about gratitude, right, Dave? We wanted to bring a little bit of gratitude into the show today. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could meditate on that, reflect on that a little bit, and anything that you might be uh, have gratitude for. Although it sounds like you're pretty, pretty, have a lot of gratitude that you have the day off today. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for the idea, the food that comes. I mean, yes, obviously that's like the, a silly thing, but I feel like I've, I used to be a bit of a farmer and I feel pretty disconnected from the food systems right now, like on a, my own personal food system, you know, and I'm feeling a lot of gratitude right now for like the Turkey itself. I used to, you know, because I, I don't even know this Turkey that I'm, that we're going to be eating tomorrow, you know? And it's, it's a pretty simple thing, but it's also feels so real to me that to have this Turkey with me and all the other foods that we get to eat w- without having to struggle in the soil and struggle with raising these, these birds. So I'm feeling, and I just finished um, doing what's called a dry rub on the Turkey Bob. And it was a messy <laughs> and intense moment. And it definitely brought me back to the days where I used to slaughter like, you know, my own Turkey. I did that for like five years in a row where I would, slaughter the turkey and man yeah it's incredible to like to have that presence 
like ahead of time before you eat the bird to like get your hands on it and touch it and like remember that it's a a living being and that it's like giving its life for us. So yeah, there's definitely like a lot of jokes around like the presidential pardoning of a turkey, but I feel like yeah, turkeys are pretty amazing little animals and I'm glad that we get to this turkey is giving its life for us. It feels really special. Anyways, that's what I'm feeling gratitude for. Nice. Yeah, that that is pretty amazing and I hope that connects people when they like uh have to be the ones you know, doing the work to get the food. Yeah, that that was similar to I was driving to Santa Cruz today and I drove by the farms on Highway 1 and there was farm farm workers picking um and harvesting out there and you know, I shop at a conventional grocery store and buy my produce from there. So I imagine those folks picked the food that I eat and I have a lot of gratitude for them and I have a lot of desire to do better by them and live in a world where, you know, I maybe maybe some folks are out there and enjoy it, but to have to be working the day before Thanksgiving. We already talked about that, how nice it is to have that day off. So I'd like to see a world where those folks have the day off. That's good bum. Another thing I wanted to think about a little bit is I was feeling like the honeymoon is over. And what I mean by that is I've, I'm feeling a little bit like I've, I'm still feeling so much gratitude that um, what do you call him? 46, 45. Um, Donald Trump's out of office, you know? Yeah. But I'm also feeling like just not, uh, I just, when I think about Biden, it doesn't do me any, any good, you know? And I'm feeling like the honeymoon of like the victory of Trump being gone is really nice, but I feel like already everything I've seen from Biden has been like, ugh, this is like, that's the best we're going to get. And yeah, I'm like super, there's a lot of really good things that he'll push, try and push a little bit and we'll be more apt to, to hear our voice. But I just feel like there's so much that is not going to change. Yeah. Does any one particular event or thing that happened stand out to you? Um, no, just like reading about some of his cabinet people that he's trying to confirm and then just like being like, yeah, like, I don't know. I also feel really strongly about immigration right now. And I like the idea of the path to citizenship and the idea of undocumented workers being treated as or undocumented people in this country being treated as people as opposed to like illegal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he nominated someone from the Obama administration that she had a a fair amount of connection to family separations. And I, I saw a clip of her in an interview and she was asked about that. And she basically just said, it's like a, necessary it's a like a regretful but necessary outcome of the system mm. and it felt very callous and 
Um, that interview was before the Trump administration. So, but now knowing what we know, it just felt like gave me shivers to hear something like that, that she would be, you know, finding a position in the new administration just feels awful. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that, I don't know. So I really want to like stay up on it and make sure that we as people in this country are like continuing to try and get our voices heard, but it doesn't feel great right now. Anyways, I don't mean to bring such a somber note to the the day of gratitude, you know? It's fine. It's good. I don't think you need to apologize for that. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Have you been feeling some of those same things or have you still been in the honeymoon mood? Oh, definitely not. The honeymoon ended like the same day, two weeks ago, when corporate Democrats, like the same day that Biden was nominated by or the victory was announced by the media, corporate Democrats came out and blamed progressives for losing the House of Representatives or, you know, not doing so well. You know, those Democrats could have been talking about anything and certainly they should have waited before making such rash comments to actually be based in some kind of evidence. And there's still no evidence. There's no evidence that progressive messages lost races for any of the Democrats. It's only conjecture and speculation. Hmm. Um, But have you heard that out there that like these corporate Democrats are blaming the idea of like socialism and defund the police and like progressive ideas as like losing. Yeah. Um, Makes sense, but I haven't heard that yet, but I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. Right. Yeah. I think the thing that gets me is like that it happened like hours after, you know, like in a time where there was a a broad coalition that elected Biden. Yeah. Those corporate Democrats showed their true face once again. Um, that they attack the left equally or more so than attacking the right. Yeah. I, I feel like I've just to bring it back to a little bit of hope I have enjoyed. I follow AOC on Twitter and I've enjoyed a lot of her posts recently. And I feel like there is some even more progressive. And I know that any politician has like some issues, but I've been, I've been enjoying what she's had to say recently. So that's been good. That's, that is good. You know, it's like centrist Democrats. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I think they're as useless as Republicans in a sense. I think Republicans are maybe more evil, but like centrist ideas, those ideas don't stand, you know, like, but some kind of idea of like private healthcare, you know, or that that's just not a good idea. Um, or the idea that like we can reform the police and, or the idea of like supporting Israel's apartheid state or increasing the military budget. None of those are good ideas, you know, and they, they don't poll well either. The ideas that poll well are Medicare for all green new deal, um, building infrastructure, uh, 15 hour minimum, $15 minimum wage. It's, it's progressive ideas are the ones that actually pull well, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, I, I, the, the honeymoon's been off for quite, quite a while for me, Dave. Yeah, that makes sense. I would, uh, 
I mean, that makes that pull that tracks well with your history, Bob. Yeah. I will say that it was interesting. This is the first time I ever voted f- for the person that won. I thought about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because when Obama was running, I was voting for Green Party candidates. And yeah, it, it doesn't make me feel any better that I voted for the, the person that won, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that my vote actually went the right way. It's interesting. Do you want to celebrate? Uh, yeah, I think it's time to celebrate, Bob. Yep. <laughs> time to gloat. Yeah. Um, I think we should move into the, the old meat and potatoes as it were the old turkey dinner and talk a little bit about this idea. And I'm going to introduce it if that's all right, Bob. Yeah, please, Dave. Be great. The, the thing that's been sticking out for me, and I'm sure it will take us down a few different paths, but this idea that when we win something that we need to like celebrate in the face of the loser. And I think that that, that idea probably resonates with a lot of people that, I mean, the truth is, is if you win something, someone else loses. But the fact that like, not only does someone else lose, but we need to make them feel like they're a loser on top of that. And this is an idea that goes like starts at a young age and you see it on the playground and it goes all the way up into like the sports world where it's really pronounced and really stands out. And then, yeah. And then we're also like being told this message of like, you need to be a good sport and a good winner, but like we're not being showed that at all. And just like this idea of why, the question that I'm really curious of asking is why do we why can't we celebrate winners and have that celebration be a a win for all of us? Why why is there a like a distinction and why do we need to like create a gap between winners and losers? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And yeah, I'll let you start off, Bob. I don't know exactly where you want to go with it, but I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts or if you want to expand on what I just said. Yeah, I think of this topic a little bit as like when celebration goes bad and celebration, as we talked about, especially in episode one, is maybe a a big spectrum. It can be a lot of different things. And we will talk more at some point about like really good celebration and what we want to see in celebration. So right now we're focusing on when it's like really bad, like toxic celebration, maybe where the celebration you're talking about is about celebrating winning and emphasizing that someone else didn't win sort of celebrating the loss, almost maybe even more than the win. And it's a, it's a particular type of celebration because as we talked about, we can celebrate a holiday or a birthday and those are not zero sum wins or celebrations. Those are like, you know, celebration for all, but the this yeah. winning and losing celebration, it's like a choice to celebrate when there is a zero sum and like when there's a winner, there's a loser and vice versa. So 
for example, that's a choice like that doesn't have to be celebrated. It can just be acknowledged and then, you know, go from there. And no celebration has to happen when there's winning and losing, but there is a lot around celebration and winning and losing. And the world of sports is definitely really mired in a lot of this. And um, I'm thinking about, I don't know if this is too much information for our listeners, but I'm thinking about your fantasy football quarterback, Dave, if I may bring him into the conversation. Oh, sure. Who is it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're starting the, um, I think one of the number one quarterbacks, which is Tom Brady, who plays for the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers now. And... Um, they lost last week and he was nowhere to be found after the loss and did not, he did not congratulate the other quarterback. Um, but I saw this analysis where whenever Tom Brady wins a game, he's like right there with the other quarterback, sort of like John has you know, yak, yak, yakking about who knows what he's yakking about, but it's clear that it's like, at least optically, Brady loves to be celebrated when he wins and then was nowhere to be found when he lost. Mm. And that really gets to what you're talking about for me, um, that he loves celebrating and, and like, he kind of like, it seems like he's rubbing other people's face in their losses. And so sports is a big place where that type of celebration is, is really socialized in our society. Yeah, we have this idea that like if you hate losing so much and this is kind of came up in Michael Jordan the last dance, he hates to lose, right? And he's like uber competitive and this idea of competition and losing is like a symbol of like failure and it and it becomes this like driving force for athletes and propels them into like becomes almost superhuman and that's like one of the stories that gets told but I feel, and I feel, I, I feel like there's got to be some truth to that, of course. But I, on a personal level, I grew up as your younger brother, and as all younger brothers um, and and younger siblings in this world, we are we just have so much less skills to compete and to to succeed, right, and to win, basically. And I definitely spent a lot of my childhood losing to you. Like that is just how it was. But there was this moment in time where I realized where we started to become a little bit more competitive on like certain games, like video games or chess or Magic the Gathering or what have you, where I was able to win sometimes. And I think as you as an older brother that I got the sense that you really didn't like losing because it's like losing to the younger brother is like a pretty... It's like a badge of shame, you know? And I have this idea in my head that what I really wanted was for us to be like the game to be really fun and competitive. And in the end, I really wanted you to win. And it's not a selfless feeling because, or not a selfless act. I really wanted you to win because then it would mean that we could play again. And I really liked playing games. So I have this like 
idea where it's like, oh yeah, if we can like play really competitively and close, and then in the end Bob wins, then like it's it makes sense in the world. That's like how it fits, right? The older brother wins, the younger brother gets to like almost win, and in the end we get to keep playing. And I remember the moment when this all backfired. I was like in like a freshman in high school. We were playing a game called Star Fox. And it was this really competitive game. And in the end, I ended up winning. And you flipped out and you threw the controller and broke it and walked out. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and, oh, man. It was like such an epic moment where the controller just shattered. And I was like, dang. And all I wanted to do is keep playing, too. And I was like, dang, that's it for the day, I guess. <laughs> it was like such an epic loss in the end for both of us. Rather than this, like, really good moment. And you are definitely not a bad, you are like, you like root for me so strongly. And I don't know, I'm not like trying to paint you into this like monster of an older brother, you know? Yeah. My memory of that incident was um, that it wasn't we played Star Fox and I lost. It was we played Star Fox several times. I like we were playing it for at least a good half hour, hour. And we played a, a number of different battles and each of them was really close and I lost. And yeah. I was just so frustrated with um, this sequence of losses. Um, no excuse, no excuse. Um, but it was this build up situation. And I do regret throwing that controller I kind of regret it. Like I regret um, disrespecting you in that way, but I do not regret all that plastic flying <laughs> across the family room. And <laughs> yeah. Such a hilarious story of that N64 controller. I, we repaired it. Do you remember that? We <laughs> repaired that controller. <laughs> oh, no. oh man. I, that was really satisfying. It was like almost a shattering moment i think it was a, like a really defining moment for us in a lot of ways yeah, it was and that because i think moving forward it it, be, it was very clear that we were rooting for each other to win yeah absolutely and at that moment yeah there was definitely other times but like i feel like that was almost the break of the childhood competition in some ways not the childhood competition but the childhood like yeah i don't know it just felt like at that moment we came together you know yeah, it's um for me like that wasn't the moment that you became better at video games than me. That that moment came like 8 years before that when in this I think it's an Atari game. No, maybe it was on the original Nintendo, the yeah. game Burger Time where you're this like little chef <laughs> just I don't even know how to describe that game. You're like walking over these giant burgers and they're falling down. Anyways, you're getting chased by fried eggs and ketchups and <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great game. It's a oh, classic, God. but you, you dominated that game. Like I wasn't even close. Um, and I think overall, maybe in some games, I kept it close over the next period, but in, in general, you were definitely the better game player. And I, I think with the Star Fox situation, it was just like, my psychology was, I just wanted to keep it close and I didn't want to necessarily be the better brother. I just didn't want to be like the, the gutter brother who like, who gutter was, brother. Not, was not a, 
a good competition whatsoever, you know, it was just a, a punching bag. So with, when I kept on losing in Star Fox, I'm like, that's it. I have no skills. I have nothing to offer in the video game realm anymore. <laughs> Shatter. Yeah. It's, it's also really interesting too, because you were, you're such a well-rounded human being, you know, and you were like a soccer star and you were, you know, close to valedictorian, although there's a lot of smart people at this school at Fairview. Um, and yeah, you just like, I felt like you had this like really cultivated life of like the the renaissance man of being able to like do most anything and i felt like this chubby little dude that like was really good with a joystick you know <laughs> and <laughs> it definitely was <laughs> definitely pinball was nice. wizard, my friend what's that pinball wizard pinball wizard yeah blind <laughs> blind deaf kid um anyhow yeah so and it's like oh man it the one thing that I could beat Bob at, you know? And, but it also felt like if I beat you too bad, then it was like, it was all going to explode. So it's a fine line. And I, it's also just like, we're like programmed to like want to win. We're programmed to like think of winning as the ultimate. And I really wish, and I mean, of course, of course that's what we're, what capitalism wants. They want, for someone to succeed in capitalism, it means you have to succeed off the back of someone else, right? Yeah. And I think it's no, it's no surprise or myth to anybody that we don't live in a democracy or the world is not built on communism or neither, nothing one except for capitalism, right? Like we are in this hyper-capitalist world and it's not just the US, it's all over. And what matters is the almighty dollar. And to to put it bluntly it's just like you have to like the blood of others is how you succeed in this world and yeah so of course we train young people to want that more than anything because we want that success because the success on in Star Fox or the success in video games or whatever more important things like school and all that means that you're going to be a successful person and yeah, it's pretty rough, isn't it? To have that deep feeling that you have to, like Tom Brady and Michael Jordan, the only way that they win is by others losing. Yep. Yeah. And that they're seen as the best, not only in like their skill, but just like they are held up as these examples of like, if you want to succeed in these sports, you need to be like them and you need to like win at any cost. Even if Scotty Pippen has to like throw down the controller and it shatters everywhere. <laughs> oh, poor Pippen, huh? Yep. Put him right next to Garfunkel in the best number twos of all time. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So how do we change it? If that's that's the idea, right? This like catchphrase from anarchism, like an another world is possible, or like there's another way I think about that sometimes like so then what how do we like this feels like almost even more ingrained than like wanting to have a successful job but like wanting to win in in video games or board games or wanting to win a foot race doesn't that just feel like 
Like, how do we, how do we go from wanting to win so bad to wanting to like share and tie in a victory? There's, um, I'm, I, I should do a little more research, but I once read about this culture that like the ultimate victory was when you tied and like the goal of the game was to like end a foot race in a tie or to have like, to like finish side by side. And I feel like, doesn't that just feel like the exact opposite of what we're trying to do every day? It does. Yeah. So I guess where my mind goes is sort of looking critically at a statement you made earlier of that we're wired to win. And I'm not convinced of that. I think when we say it that way, that means like, uh, that maybe you're implying that we come in this world wanting to win. And I would need more examples of that because I think it's equally likely that we come in and could be like hardwired to tie and love tying. And, but that in this society, we like start to develop that and it's more of something that we learn and get like rewarded for rather than something that we come into this world with. So if I think that matters a lot because if, if we are, you know, not wired at all for anything in particular, then we could uh, celebrate or like, um, you know, learn to, to, to not celebrate the win, the zero sum win. And I feel like, I'm remembering like when we used to play board games, it didn't seem like dad really wanted to win that much. He seemed like he just wanted to play the game. So Mm. I think he comes to mind as a good example of someone who just really wanted to play and not care who won. Yeah. Another, I love that. The idea of the example, right? And Mm -hmm. you're so right. I, Dad just loved the idea that he was able to like spend time with us. I was like his one mission in life is to be with us. And we would play a lot of pinochle with him. And it was pretty funny because pinochle also went very similarly um, to video games for us where, and it's just kind of how the cards got dealt, but like dad always came in second. You always came in last and I always won. Right. Yeah, except when we played double pinochle. Oh, with mom, and what would happen? I kind of remember having a really good streak in double pinochle. Yeah, that makes sense, but it was impossible to get mom to play that game with us, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oh, man. But another thing that's coming up for me, too, is I'm thinking of preschool kids and this idea that like kids tend to fight at Julie's school when like they fight over a toy or there's like a special thing and they know how to get at each other. It's like, Oh, if I take that one thing that's special to, you know, Johnny, then I'm going to be able to like make him cry or like, I'm going to like, I will have power over him by taking like Johnny's dinosaur. Right. And or for instance, or like, oh my God, I love Johnny so m- or like I love Cindy so much. And I just want to like do whatever she's doing. And she's on the tricycle and I want to be on the tricycle, you know? And then I'm 
then the kids break down because there's not enough. And these toys are like exclusive. And I'm, I'm like thinking that that feels just like so capitalist, right? This idea of a supply and demand, this idea that like when you, when it comes down to it with these toys and these like special things that they, they make a, they make us into this competition right from like a really early age and that toys are this capital that gives power over other, over other people. And it's a way of teaching capitalism at a super young age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that competition is like, cause I was like trying to think like, well, our preschoolers, like, do they want to win? It's like, they don't really want to win. They just want to like be loved and like to have, but like to have the thing, you know, but like when that thing becomes an exclusive thing or when we have a finite amount of like, it's just so hard. It's just so hard to like teach sharing to a three-year-old, you know, Mm -hmm. and to teach the idea because it's like what we're doing with those toys is we're like, yep, there's only one of these and you have to share. It's like, why do I have to share? And it's like, we're not teaching them how to share. We're teaching them that things have power is what we're really doing. I feel. And I feel like if we didn't have any of that, like the special toys or the special things, then it wouldn't, we wouldn't be teaching that, you know? Couldn't we like praise kids when they like give up the toy? Couldn't we just like, be like, Oh my God, you're so good. You gave that toy to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, positive reinforcement is basically the only way to learn and teach. And it's the only thing we crave, you know? We don't want to be punished, but we'll risk punishment. But like in the end, it only like the only way to like make change is through is through positive reinforcement or like lasting change, right? With kids. Yep. So yeah, we uh, yeah I think so. But is that enough? Probably not. Yeah, but it seems like something that would be a good reminder for people that when, when little kids, especially like ages three through six or something, when they're like, I mean, maybe this is just for all little kids. Um, when they share, like for us to be really looking for that and, and give them heaps of praise when they share something, Mm. but who am I, who am I to say this stuff? Oh yeah. You're definitely not a, early childhood educator. No, nor am I a parent. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about these things of like, cause I agree. I agree that we're not like born with this competitive nature to win. But I think that there is like, we're taught it from a, a super young age. We're taught competition over community. And I think that's kind of what heart, what's at the heart of bad celebration. Yeah, it is. The idea that competition wins over community. And we need to like reimagine like what, like the community should trump competition and that we only win when we all win. You know, there is no winning without all of us winning. Yeah. And I think that would entail a pretty radical restructuring of professional sports in this country. I think it would really have to shift sports. I think they're one of the worst industries promoting this idea of zero sum winning and losing 
and that the winners should get celebrated. Yeah. Rather than like the teams that are like have the most heart or competed the best. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't feel like we quite got anywhere, but I feel like there's at least some nice things to reflect on it, like how to be better role models and adults and this idea of the pervasiveness of capitalism into like all aspects of our life and how to take a step back of that, especially as we get into like playing games during this time of year. It's like, it's pretty easy to like want to win so bad that you want to like rub someone else's face in it and like to take a step back and realize what that means, you know? Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, this will be a good one, a good reminder. And I I mean, we didn't even get into uh, Sweet 16 parties, so we'll have to leave that for another episode. Another episode of Bad Celebrations. Yep. The- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oof. da. I'll say. Yes. Yeah. Well, Bob, any closing thoughts? No, I think I'm good. Hey, hey, did you know? 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 Oh, yeah. Sing that song, you know, every other day, basically. (laughs) Oh, that's a shame. Love it. Well, Bob, you got did you know for us? Yeah, it's me for this week. And I already started talking about this, but I'm going to talk about it more. So did you know, Dave, that... In congressional swing districts, so this is districts across the country that send people to Congress that are, um, you know, sometimes go Republican, sometimes go Democrat. Um, In these districts, uh, six of the House Democrats who lost this time around, um, where it could have gone it either way, all six of them ranked among the most 22 most conservative Democrats in the House. And of the um, 11 most liberal candidates or most most progressive, nine out of those 11 are expected to win. So um, of the the Democrats who lost, six of them um, are very conservative and nine out of the 11 uh, most progressive in those districts are going to win. So what this did, you know, does is it shows that progressives and progressive ideas can win in districts that are thought to be, um, you know, at least somewhat conservative and it, it debunks that myth. And so this, did you know, is empirical data that shreds apart those ideas that I was talking about earlier tonight. And it's from a memo put out by a coalition of progressive Democrats called what went wrong for congressional Democrats in 2020. Mm. Nice, Bob. I like that. Hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How's Georgia looking? Have you been keeping up on it? I have. It's, um, Pretty wild. There's incredible amount of cash that's being put into those races. Um, The Republican candidates are awful. One of them is 
someone who like invested in a lot of industries that made a lot of money off the pandemic. Um, and they're engaging in like racist politics against Raphael Warnock, the one of the Democratic uh, candidates, a black man. And polling shows that it's pretty close, um, both of the races. And bef- like the, the first races were pretty close that led to the runoffs. So I think it could, get, could go either way. I guess, I guess experts say uh, it's probably going to go Republican. Um, but who knows? You know, that's what they said about Georgia um, in terms of the presidential election as well. So I would not count the, the Democrats out in Georgia. Nice. Thanks, Bob. Yep. Anything, anything can happen in Georgia these days. Georgia was also key because Trump put a lot of pressure on the Republican Secretary of State to not certify the election. And that, that guy, I think his name's like Brad Raffelsberger or something like that. He was receiving a lot of death threats, but he, he certified it. And um, pretty, pretty big ups to that guy. Yeah. Was he, the, was he on John Oliver or was he on The Daily Show or something? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him and I was, I liked him a lot. So I, I would like to share that ups. <laughs> nice. I want to share in those ups, Bob. I don't want to compete with those ups. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Bob, thanks for this convo and yep. excited to continue in the gratitude and celebration of the week with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and glad, glad to have you on my side. You too, Dave. And um, I'm going to just say, let's go out there and get some ties this week and uh, see if mom can find that old N64 controller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That'd be, a, that'd be a real victory, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, put that on the website. Speaking of websites, thrivingindystopia.com. Get after us on Twitter, bmaze19. Instagram, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. And Dave Peachtree at gmail.com. There it is, Dave. Love you, Bob. Talk I love to you, you too. Dave. Okay. Take care, Dave. What's up, driving crew? Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears. They also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful. The intro song is In Heaven by Drake Stafford. Our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch. Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. And finally, our new outro song is a cover of Can't Help Falling in Love by our editor, Nadir. See you next week.